Uh, we're going to continue in Ephesians tonight, Ephesians 4, verse 17 through 32, as we're talking about transformation. That's what the, the main theme of tonight is, the, the idea of transformation in the life of the Christian. Uh, Romans 12, verse 2, we'll begin, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We really emphasized in Bible class this morning the idea of discernment, of trying to discern what is the will of God. But the emphasis in, I think, the original thing is be transformed, right? You're not going to be conformed. You're going to be transformed. Now, as part of the transformation, you're discerning what is the will of God, right? You want to understand what God wants for you. But the reason to discern what is the will of God is because you're being transformed. You want to be different. You want to be new, right? You want to be renewed by the spirit of your mind. 2 Corinthians 3, 17, the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. The same image, what? The glory of the Lord. We're being transformed into his glory from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. The idea that we are, I, I like the, the phrasing of this, the tensing, uh, the tense of this, we are beholding the glory. Not we're, we're waiting to behold it, we're looking forward to behold it, but we're beholding it now as we see it in one another, as we are being transformed to be like him. We're seeing his glory hopefully playing out in our midst, in the lives of one another through this transformation. So as we think about Ephesians, part of God's eternal purpose, the eternal purpose of God, that's one of the themes of Ephesians, right? His eternal purpose is to transform the people who accept his will to make us more like he intended us to be. That's the point, uh, not the point. One of the points of our Christian journey is to become different than we were, to be new, to be renewed. It would be how Romans 12 says it. And so the next section of Ephesians illuminates this contrast, okay? We, we have God's eternal purpose in his calling and election and the idea of predestination in the first chapter. We talked a lot about unity last week, the, the lead-in from unity and Christian unity. You know, all that's wrapped up in the contrast of what the Christian was, were and the call to be something new and something better. So we're going to read the whole text. It's two slides, I think. I believe it's two slides. Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. We're going to read all of this and then we'll break it down into thinking about this transformation. Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. I want to, I want to make a brief aside here. The word Gentile is a generic word, simply meaning the nations, right? Or typically refers to a non-Jew. It was used in the New Testament in sort of two different ways. One is the technical term, a non-Jew. The other became sort of a secondary uses of the word Gentile to mean a non-Christian. Uh, he's talking in Ephesians primarily to Christians, right? And many of them are Gentiles. So when he says not to walk as the Gentiles do, he's talking about the pe their neighbors, the people around them in their lives in Ephesus who do not follow God. He's really essentially saying like you used to do, right? The Gentiles that you live with, that you were a part of, you used to be in their group, don't be like them anymore. But it's really the emphasis is on non-Christian, right? Uh, no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to every, uh, practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. And we see this contrast, right? You used to live in this way. You used to be this way. 
But you, you, you learned Christ, hopefully, assuming, that word assuming is kind of interesting in this, assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him. And it's kind of interesting the dig here, right? I'm writing to you. You received my letter. I assume you've heard about Jesus. How, how otherwise would you be reading my letter if you didn't know that? And, and the sort of the dig is, assuming you've learned Christ, you should be acting differently now as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, very similar to Romans 12 here, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God, very similar to the uh, passage that we read previously in 2 Corinthians, right? We're being created after his likeness, being transformed into his image in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, and, and he gets into the practicality of this, right? So, a lot of theological stuff about being transformed and why and how that happens. But the nitty gritty of it, the actual difference is in this section here. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. That was the unity he had mentioned in the previous part of the chapter. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him, let him rather labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We talked about that a couple weeks ago on Sunday morning in our idea of biblical work. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander... We'll talk about those words in just a minute. Be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. A really good summation of some differences here that should be different in our lives because of the new life that we have, the renewing that we have hopefully assuming we have experienced. And again, that word assuming there, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to people who presumably assuming should have known this, should it be different He's reminding them maybe things that they should have already known or perhaps telling them things that they should be doing but they just weren't for whatever reason. And so the practical section of the book, which began last week, we talked about Ephesians 4, well, two weeks ago. Uh, Ephesians 4, 1, that this idea of unity continues with transformation. And so we see three things. One, what does the old life look like? And we're asking a question really practically. What should I get, be getting rid of in my life? Okay, what does the old life look like? That's what I need to get rid of. That's what needs to go away. I need to stop doing the things. I need to change the way I'm thinking, not think the things that I was thinking before. What does the new look, life look like? And again, practical question, what should I add? What sort of behavior should I add to my life? What practical things should I be doing? And then finally, how does change happen? And what gets in the way of our change being transformed in this new life? So, what does the old life look like? 419, we're going to read a bunch of verses here. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The word callous is interesting. What is that word? The idea of a hard heart is really what this comes up. And you know, think of a callous on your hands or on your feet, or if you work hard and you get calluses. It's resistant to change. That's what calluses are, right? If you don't have calluses on your hands and you do hard labor, the skin is is easy to change. And by change, we mean get damaged, right? That's what that means. To be callous in this sense is resistant to change. You just want to stay the way you are. You, you're not looking to change. You're not open to new ideas. And have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. 
Verse 22, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt. So callous is one and then corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. This idea of deceitful desires. I'm callous. I don't want to change. I have deceitful desires. I want to do certain stuff and I think it's going to be good. But you know what? It's not going to be good. It's not going to do what I want it to do. Some practical things. Therefore, having put away falsehood, just not speaking falsely, let the thief no longer steal. Now we, we have two of the commandments, right? Do not lie and do not steal. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. At the core of this is priorities and desires. The things that we prioritize. We talked about this in our sermon this morning. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. The idea of what are we prioritizing? How are we thinking about life? If we're callous in our hearts, we're unwilling to change. The second thing about callous is you're not considering others. The opposite of callousness would be compassion. That I am moved by the plight of other people. As opposed to being callous, I see the suffering of others. Eh, I don't really care that much. Which is why I'm willing to lie and steal, right? Why wouldn't I lie and steal if I don't care about you? If I, if I only care about myself? And we think about these desires that are deceitful. I want to live the way I want to live. And this is a, you know, we have the tendency to think this is the problem with the world today. I, I tend to try to avoid that idea because this is not the problem with the world today. This is the problem of all human history. But we do see it around us today, right? We see people with these desires to live certain ways and they think if I can just do this thing, or if I can just have this attitude, or if I can just acquire this object, or if I can just have this job, or if I can just have this relationship, then I'll be happy and I'll be satisfied and I've made it. And it's deceitful. Because we think these things are going to bring us happiness, and they don't. They don't bring us satisfaction. The idea of sensuality. We're living for pleasure above all. Physical sensation of pleasure. It doesn't just mean sex sexuality, that's a different word, sensuality is, could be in food, could be in different kinds of uh, substances, but it, it's this idea of physical pleasure, that we're living for physical pleasure. These priorities are self-focused. The old life, fundamentally, is self-focused. What do I want? What makes me feel good? What's good for me? And of course, that leads to certain kinds of behaviors as a natural consequence. Greed and selfishness are the natural byproduct if you just care about yourself. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity, right? That's what he said here. Falsehood. Well, again, that's a natural outcome of self-focused attitudes. If it's just about me and what I want and what I desire, why not lie to you? Why not just say whatever I want that gets my way? Why not just make stuff up if that's going to be a, a, an advantage to me? If it's going to disadvantage me, why would I tell the truth? Because it's all about what I want. Theft which he, again, he listed here, because what I want matters most. It doesn't matter that you have it. I want it, and my desires matter most, and, and so I want it. But the end result of these, of course, is what? Is the negative emotions that we have, and we could put this list back up here. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander. These are the natural result of a selfish life for two reasons. Number one, if you're selfish about things and you're only thinking about yourself, are you going to have many friends? I say to you, no, you are not. So yeah, you're going to be bitter about life because there's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's no satisfaction, there's no happiness. A lot of anger going on because your relationships are destroyed because you're just being selfish all the time. A lot of slander, why? Because you can't admit that you're the problem because you're callous. So you're going to start talking bad about everybody else. All my problems, it's everybody else's fault. 
Those are all natural results of this wrong set of priorities. That it's all about me and what I want and what I desire and what makes me happy. Contrast that with the new life. 424. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. True righteousness and holiness as opposed to what? False righteousness and holiness would be my own righteousness and holiness, right? What I say goes. What I say is right as opposed to true righteousness. What God says is right. 425, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. A lot of things about anger in these verses. And give no opportunity to the devil. We'll come back to the idea of opportunity to the devil. 428 and 29. Let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And then the last part here, just the overall summation. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. The new life, as we put all these together, begins with new priorities. I'm caring about new things. I'm prioritizing new things. What does God want? That's primarily, right? What does God want? I'm being created in his likeness, his image, his holiness. What does God say is good? But then the second part of this is what is good for others. If the old life is self-focused... What do I want? What do I care about? What do I prioritize? The new life is outward focused. First of all, what does God want? What does he care about? But also other people. What do you guys need? What do, what do others need? What can I do for other people? How can I be a blessing to them? And as a natural outpouring of these priorities, we become a blessing to other people, right? If we're thinking about other people, I'm going to be honest. I don't want to deceive you. I'm going to tell you the truth. And he says, it's interesting, tell, speak the truth to his neighbor. Why? For we are members of one another. I'm telling you the truth because I'm part of your family. You're part of my family. We're together in this. If I lie to you, that's only harming myself. We see about being willing to resolve conflict and let go of anger. Because it's not just about me. You did something horrible to me, maybe. I could let that be bitterness and malice in my heart. That's the end result of not letting go of anger. It metastasizes into bitterness and clamor and, and slander and malice. Or I could let go of that. Let go of my anger. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. A lot of marriage advice things include that, right? I'm letting go of anger because it's not just about me. It's about the relationship that we have. And if I want to maintain this relationship, I'm going to have to forgive. You have two options in life. You can either forgive or you can have no friends. Those are your two options. I would recommend the forgiving. Thinking about the needs of others. Sharing. What does he say about the thief? Don't steal anymore, but work. Not just so that you have enough, but work so that you can do the opposite of stealing, which is giving to other people. Sharing with others. Considering how our words can help and encourage. Again, I'm, I'm having words that fit the occasion, that build up, that edify, that encourage and the end result of this, ultimately, right, is we're recognizing that I am not the center of the universe. And again, we can look around at society and think, yeah, this is really a problem in our society that people just want to be the center of the universe. I'm going to remind you, this was obviously a problem for them. This is the human condition. We, as humans, prioritize ourselves. And when we prioritize ourselves, that leads to certain behaviors that destroy relationships, leads to emptiness, leads to bitterness, leads to destruction.
That's what happens when we focus on ourselves. The new life fundamentally is about others. It is about other people and God's desire. And so while there are deep theological necessities to this transformation, there are some obvious benefits to this, right? If we think about the old life as bitter, selfish, and lonely, people who are selfish naturally tend to have fewer and fewer people to turn to in times of crisis. And quite frankly, who wants to be around an emotional jerk? You don't. And if you're that way, why would people want to be around you? The answer is they won't. The new life contributes then, and we think about the one Lord, one faith, one baptism, to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The new life is essentially, here's how you maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Here's how you do that. You think about other people, you prioritize their desires, you do things that other people, is a blessing to other people, and if you want to have people that you can rely on, you have to be the kind of person that others can rely on. Right? I'm going to say that again. If you want to have people to rely on, you have to be the kind of person that people can rely on. It's reciprocal. Letting go of anger and forgiving one another is the only way to achieve unity in a group of flawed people, which is all groups. Why is that? Because in a group of flawed people, somebody's going to make some mistake. Somebody's going to mistreat you. Somebody's going to do something to you that you don't like. That's inevitable. I know I've done it to you guys. I know some people have done it to me. It's inevitable. It's part of the horrible nature of humanity. And so to have unity, we have to let go. What prevents us from doing this is the question. The final question of the text here. What prevents people from transforming? How can we allow God to change us? As we think about the text in Ephesians 4... Verse 17, I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. The emphasis in 17 and 18 is on knowledge, right? Their futility of their minds, they're darkened in understanding, they're ignorant. Verse uh, 20, that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him. Again, that's a knowledge problem, right? I assume you've heard about Jesus. I assume you've been taught the truth. You need the information. You need this knowledge in your heart. And then, of course, verse 23, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. We see it again. This is a, a mental transformation, right? To be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And then finally, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. There are three components of transformation in Ephesians. First is the idea of soft versus hard heart, callousness or openness. To transform requires the desire to transform. The humility to admit that you need to transform, to be changed. That's the first step. First step to transformation in, in the kingdom of God is to admit that you need to be that way. You, you need to be different. That requires humility. That requires some uncomfortable admitting of truths about myself, which would be what confession is, right? I'm confessing my sins. That's acknowledging that I need to change. We don't need to be good enough to start the process. Right? We come to this idea of, of I, I need to be a good person before I can be a Christian. That's exactly reversed. Because the whole point of the Christian journey, the whole point of what we're talking about here, the new life, is because we're not good enough. We need him to help us be good enough. 
We need him to help us change. We're not going to change until we've admitted, I need to change and I need God's help to help me change. Because I can't do it on my own. The second thing here, the importance of truth and knowledge. Okay, well, I want to change. I have a soft heart. I've, I've gotten rid of the callousness. Tried to get rid of the callousness. I'm open to changing. What is it that's going to change me? Is God's truth, his knowledge, right? The true righteousness and holiness of him. Those, who would, uh, those in the world walk in ignorance. They have darkened understanding. They don't know what God wants. And maybe if they did know, they wouldn't care. That's the callousness, right? But it's two components. A lot of people, they would be different. They just don't know any better. They don't know what God wants. They don't have his information, his holy knowledge. Only those who have learned Christ, the phrase, and have been taught in him can transform. You want to transform, you want to be different than you are. It's going to require new information. The information in God's word. Being taught in his word. And that's one of the reasons people sometimes ask me, why do we have so many Bible studies? This is the reason why we have so many Bible studies. Is because the process of transformation, when does that end? When you're dead, right? That's when it ends. I always need more understanding. I always need God's information. I always need his truth. That never ends. This idea that I'm going to magically wake up one day and I'll have arrived and I'll be good enough and I'll know enough. That's a myth. That's not ever going to be the case. The journey of transformation begins by admitting I'm not good enough. I need God's help. And it continues until you die. Always learning, always growing. Finally, the work of the Holy Spirit. This has been a running theme in Ephesians. We're thinking about how do we transform? Well, got to be open to transformation. Have to have God's truth to transform. And one of the themes of Ephesians has been the work of the Holy Spirit in this. 1, 17 and 18. Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. That the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom of, and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the our eyes of your hearts enlightened. What is he saying here? He's praying for them that he would, they would, God would give you the spirit of wisdom. What do we need to transform? God's truth, God's understanding, God's wisdom. We need that. Paul is saying, I'm praying that the spirit of wisdom will give you that, that he will give you that information. Uh, Ephesians 2.18, through him we both have access in one spirit, to the Father. He says it in, four, in, in chapter 4, right? There's one Father, one Lord. We have access in one spirit to the Father. He's helping us achieve that transformation by bringing us access to God. Ephesians 2.22, in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What makes us fit to be part of this building is that we're the new self, right? He is building us into what we need to be, to be this dwelling place for God. Ephesians 3.16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. We begin transforming through humility, repentance, and learning, but the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers that transformation. Which is why, fundamentally, the plan of salvation, quote-unquote, is so vital. We think about, I want to be good enough before I commit my life to Christ. That is exactly the opposite. Because if I want to be good enough, I need the Holy Spirit. 
I need him to help me. I need his power. I need his wisdom. I need his strength. But I can't get the Holy Spirit until I've done what? Until I've confessed and repented and been immersed. Because it's when I'm immersed. What does Peter say in Acts 2? Repent and be immersed for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If we're trying to be good enough and we haven't been immersed into Christ, we're missing the most critical element of transformation. We might have knowledge. We might have humility. But unless we've committed to Christ, been immersed into his blood, we're missing the key part. His spirit empowering our change. Which is why we're trying to teach, of course, ultimately, as we try to teach the lost, the necessity of obeying God's plan of salvation. People are missing out on the number one thing we need to be better. 